From trailer to theater, we waited three years to see this movie. Was it worth the wait? On this episode of Moving Panels, we discuss The New Mutant. Welcome to Moving Panels, the podcast where we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. I'm your host, Laramie Wells, and joining me today is horror movie connoisseur and host of the Interview with a Horror Virgin podcast. Please welcome James Brooks. How are you, James? Hey, Laramie. How are you doing? I'm doing well tonight. Uh, I, I'm excited about this one. So uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and talk about James's new podcast, Interview with a Horror Virgin. Go ahead, James, and explain for everybody what you what this podcast is. Okay, thanks a lot, Laramie. So Interview with a Horror Virgin is an interview as it says in the title, and I find people who haven't seen certain horror films, get them to watch it, and we do a before and after interview. I ask them some questions before they watch the horror film, you know, just to be like, what do you expect from this horror film? What do you think it's about just from the title? They'll give me their honest answers, they'll go and watch it, then we come back, and we'll do some after questions, they'll give me their reactions, how they felt, did they find it as scary as they did before, and it's really neat because they give me some really nice raw questions because their expectations change every time. Yeah, a a very genius concept uh, for a podcast, and yeah, and very interesting to listen to, just the way that people kind of explain like why they haven't watched the particular movie, Mm -hmm. Um, because you've done some some classics, like you did uh, the original Amityville Horror. Yep. And the fact the fact that you found someone who had never seen the Amityville Horror, it's it's interesting, you know, to find out why have you never seen this horror movie? And then, of course, finally getting them to watch it and perception. And there's nothing better than the first watch of a movie. Oh, absolutely. And I'm waiting to find one person who has not seen Friday the 13th. I'm, I'm on the look for them because those are the best ones when they haven't seen the really good classics, the Freddies, the, you know, the Jasons. Oh, yeah. Nope. I'm a child of the 80s. I've seen them all multiple times. So it's not me. I might I might could find somebody. Let, let me see if I can help you out with that one. But, <laughs> uh, but what we're going to do today on moving panels is we're going to kind of borrow this idea. So James and I talked about what we wanted to do, and we decided we want to do the New Mutants, which, of course, fits into James's wheelhouse because it is a superhero movie that was very much uh, portrayed as a horror film. Uh, very different approach to the X-Men movies. And uh, the thing was, coincidentally, I have never seen it. I have never seen the New Mutants movie. So we are recording this right now without me have seen, have seen whatever the term is there, I still have not seen New Mutants. So we're going to do a little bit of uh, recording here. James might even ask me some questions because he is he has seen the movie. Yes. He is familiar with the movie. And I'm going to go ahead and say there's not any reason I haven't seen the movie other than I've heard that the movie's not 100% great. And so I've, it's kind of been on the bottom of my list. But uh, I have purchased it as I do all superhero movies. And I have had an interest in watching it, so we will watch it. But before we get into that, we'll go ahead and do the first part of our show. We'll get into background information and kind of talk about production, because this movie's got a very interesting uh, story uh, when it comes to its release. So 
the movie, speaking of Friday the 13th, the movie had its first trailer air on Friday the 13th back in 2017. Wow. I actually remember seeing that trailer. I don't remember it. Do you remember... You don't remember seeing the original trailer? I do. I remember seeing the original trailer, and I was like, oh, oh, they're going to, they're doing New Mutants, and it looks, I mean, they made the trailer. It looked like a horror movie. And it was set to be released on Friday the 13th of April 13th, 2018. So it was like perfect storm there, you know. You, you release the trailer on a Friday the 13th. You're going to release the movie. The It was probably the very next Friday the 13th, which is going to be April of the next year. So April 13th, 2018, Friday the 13th, this interesting new idea of a superhero movie as a horror movie looks awesome. And then they delayed the movie almost an entire year. They moved it to February 22nd, 2019. Now, do you know why they delayed the movie? I didn't really know why they delayed it. I thought it was maybe production issues. Maybe someone from higher up was putting their hands in and causing too much trouble. Well, yeah, there's some of that, but apparently the reason for this first delay was they didn't want it to conflict with the release of Deadpool 2. Really? Yeah. Was I guess they figured, hey, you know, we already had success from Deadpool. We got Deadpool 2 coming out. You know, we want to release that at this time. And so let's just push back this New Mutants movie. Okay, that makes sense. More of like a marketing technique or tool that you're trying to do. But but let me be clear. They have already released the trailer. There's already a trailer. There's a trailer. There's TV spots already. And they've now, in 2017, and now the movie's not coming out until 2019. All right. Well, did the movie come out in February of 2019? No, it did not. It got delayed again. To August 2nd of 2019. So a few months later. Do you know what they chalked this delay up to? Oh, I need to hear it. They didn't want it to conflict with the Dark Phoenix movie. Yes, because the last thing you want to do is you know conflict that wonderful film. Nope, we can't, can't have two X-Men related movies come out together. Uh, and we know the X-Men movies will probably do better than this New Mutant. People aren't familiar with these New Mutant characters, so we'll release Dark Phoenix. <laughs> uh, we haven't covered Dark Phoenix yet on this show, but wow, that didn't work out real well. Then it got delayed again. Got delayed and moved to April 3rd of 2020. Now, do you know why this delay happened? Well, comedy works in threes. Lay it on me. Disney bought Fox. That, that's it. I love that it. That is why the, it got delayed this time. Disney bought Fox, and when Disney acquired Fox, every movie that was on Fox's schedule got removed so that Disney could sort it all out and let it fit their schedule. So that now Fox movies and Disney movies, you know, you didn't have a big Fox movie competing with a big Disney movie or you know, anything like that. So, so that's what happened to that. Now, of course... We're talking, they now are saying the release date is April 3rd, 2020. And you definitely know what happened in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had our the beginning of our wonderful pandemic. Yep. Everything got delayed with that. So it was, it, it would shut hurt everybody. Everything down. Yeah, shut everything down. Um, so the April 2020 release wasn't going to happen. Then it was announced that it was being shelved 
And so there was question as to whether or not the movie was even going to be released. Then there was, of course, talk. Uh, I, I found this. I didn't get real deep into it, but I found out that after Disney acquired Fox, there was some announcement or whatnot where they talked about upcoming movies for Marvel, and they listed New Mutants. But because they're listing all these other Marvel movies, you got to remember every other Marvel movie they listed would be MCU. New Mutants is not MCU. But by putting New Mutants on a list with all these other movies, people were thinking, okay, this is going to be a part of the MCU now. But then after that was brought up, it was immediately removed from the list of upcoming movies. Yeah, a lot of confusion in this movie. And there was talk that it, you know, Disney Plus was uh, pretty new at the time. And there was talk that okay, we're going to just release it on Disney Plus or Hulu or something. But, no, they finally released it August 28th of 2020. So three years, three years from trailer to theater. Can you believe that? For a Marvel film like this, I really can't believe it, especially if it's X-Men. Usually X-Men films don't really take this long. I know with the whole situation with, like, Fox and Disney – those films kind of got lost into the mix of everything, along with Dark Phoenix, I feel. So I can kind of understand, but at the same time, it's it's sad to see this happen to like some X-Men films that they were trying to bring forth like in 2017. But let's get into kind of the idea behind this movie. Now, again, I'm talking about all of this without... I haven't seen the movie, so I'm talking about all of this just based off of what I, I found about production. Uh, so the movie's directed by Josh Boone, who also co-wrote the screenplay, and he began work on this back in 2014. Now, let me I'm going to ask you a question, James. Are you aware that his plan was to make a trilogy? I did not know that was going to be a trilogy. That's that's new on me. Yeah. Again, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know if it has a beginning of a trilogy fill, but his plan was for the first movie to be a supernatural horror movie. Again, I don't know how well he succeeds, but then the second movie was going to be an alien invasion style horror movie. And I guess when you say alien invasion, help me out here, James, but when you say alien invasion horror movie, are we talking about like invasion of the body snatchers? Like, is that what you think of? That's really what comes to mind like that or like war of the worlds type. Those are like the two that I can think of when you say alien invasion with X-Men. Yeah. But also to say horror movie Mm -hmm. to, to say, I mean, I guess you got like, I guess you could say alien, I mean, Alien is a... Eh. It's not really an alien invasion, but... It's kind of a slasher. uh, Well, yeah. Well, I mean, but that still follows under the realm of horror movie. And then the third movie in the trilogy was supposed to be an apocalyptic horror movie. All right. So, we talking like uh, Mad Max level apocalyptic? From what I discovered is that he was basing this off of the Inferno storyline from 1989, which focuses on one of the char- one of the new mutants, on uh, Ileana. Okay. It focuses on her and sh- her becoming uh, this, it, it, it's almost a Dark Phoenix story, her becoming this creature called the Dark Child. Uh, and then there's other things with other characters, but... You know, again, I can see where where this is building up to. You know, it's pretty much saying, uh, "All right, you know, we we're now gonna 
throw one of the characters where there's this inner turmoil between, you know, all these others. There's New York has been in ruins. Probably he probably would have done built that off of the alien invasion. Oh, I like you know? that actually. Inferno is actually a demonic invasion, which has decimated New York and uh, other places. But I'm wondering if he would have taken the aftermath of the alien invasion and then went into this Inferno storyline. You know, the whole connection with Ileana and Limbo and all of that and kind of tying it all together. I think that would have been his idea. That's really all I know about the trilogy. So what are your thoughts on this possibly, since you have seen the movie without spoiler free, do you think this movie could have been a setup for a trilogy? Now that you've mentioned the Alien story and the Inferno one, specifically the Inferno one, I can see the trilogy happening after seeing it. Because you mentioned the whole like Dark Phoenix story, what they were going for with it. It it kind of it, it works for it because there were some parts of it I didn't understand because I actually have not read the three-part story like Laramie has, so he's going to be watching it while I read it to kind of fill in what I may have missed. But I really like the Inferno story because I love the 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 hell arcs in the Marvel stories. They're very well thought out. Mm-hmm. They almost remind me of the whole, like old Catholic, uh, Catholic stories and everything that they tie in. Like we have Mephisto when he comes in, when he comes into the Marvel Universe. And I just love it when it comes into the X-Men. They just their whole characters have their whole their dark sides, especially with the new mutants, because with they're young, they don't know their powers as well, and we kind of see that growth happen. And with this trilogy, it works. If there was going to be a trilogy, it would have helped a lot more. Yeah, a part of me wonders how they would have taken this, because the idea behind the Inferno storyline is that demons from Limbo. Um, have entered our world and they are taking over. And the Inferno storyline was a Marvel crossover event. So the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, you know, on top of the X-Men, they're all involved. Um, And they all, I don't know if every single one of them, but a good chunk of them are demon-possessed. And so it ultimately becomes, you know, I guess you would say in the the movie it would be the new mutants versus you know the older guard. Now how they do that in the movie with this originally being Fox and so they only had access to um X-Men characters, I don't know if their intention was to bring in X-Men for the the trilogy and then it be the new mutants versus the X-Men for that kind of final uh movie but I don't know. It, it's kind of interesting finding that out. What was the plan uh, for a, a a New Mutants trilogy? Which makes sense because they did trilogies for pretty much all the rest of the... I mean, they had a trilogy for the original X-Men. They had a trilogy for Wolverine. Uh, technically, they had four movies yeah. for the first class group. But um, so, I don't know. Would have been interesting. But with that being said, I did find out that James McAvoy was supposed to appear in this movie. Really? As Professor X. Yeah. Like, he was set to appear. Um, uh, Storm was supposed to appear as well. So there there was going to be a connection to 
to the um, the X Men, but that all got scrapped with rewrites and and all. But uh, in August of 2016, director Josh Boone revealed that they would be uh, doing the Demon Bear, and so a lot of comic book fans kind of went, "Oh, well, that just makes sense. That's probably the most famous." New Mutant story is the Demon Bear. So, hey, it works later. Of course, then a year later, uh, Boone said, well, we're we're doing the Demon Bear, but the Demon Bear is not the main villain. And I think that put a paw, that was like the first kind of, tap your brakes for comic book fans, because they're like, well, wait, why? why not? Like, Demon Bear is good enough to be a, the full-fledged villain. Why? So who was the villain? Now, again, haven't seen the movie. I don't know who they end up making the villain. I don't know if the trailer doesn't really reveal who the villain is. So I'm very curious about that. But let me get your opinion here on this uh, as well, James. Is the demon bear kind of put to the side? Or is the demon bear still a predominant part of this movie? The demon bear is a predominant, but it's on the back burner for a bit. Like Mm. it's hinted at at the very beginning, like the opening titles makes a reference to a native American bear, not giving away too much. So they're, they're kind of like throwing in a little bit at a time at you throughout the film and you're waiting for it. It's kind of, you know, this is very interesting since, you know, we're doing the show this way is I'm saying no spoilers and we're talking about the demon bear. And I do know the bear story in the comic books. And so how much, can you say that's a spoiler that wouldn't technically be a spoiler because I already know how the demon bear story plays out in the comics. Does that, did that make any sense? What I just said? Yeah. I was just trying to give away like at, at this point in the movie, this is where the demon bear yeah, comes no, out. Yeah, I didn't yeah, want to yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. We talked about all of these different, um, moving of the, uh, the release date, and then there were supposed to be some reshoots that happened along this line, and we'll get into why in a moment. But before we get into that, I just want to go ahead and, and tell you this so you know this going in. In March of 2020, once they decided that they were going to you know halt the release of the movie because of COVID, uh, Josh Boone actually said in an interview, you know what? You know, they keep pushing this movie back. And I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not saying exactly what he said. But he, he in essence, said, and people keep talking about all these reshoots we're having to do. None of them ever happened. So that means that the movie that they settled on back in, you know, 2016, 2017, whenever they actually wrapped, uh, is the movie we got in 2020. So there was no no changes to anything because there was talk about because of the um the failure of Dark Phoenix they went in and changed some stuff uh because of the Disney acquisition they had to go in and change some stuff um and then we're about to get into the horror aspect of the movie and and them going in and changing some stuff to make the studio happy but according to Boone none of that actually happened so, uh, amongst everything that happened between then and now, nothing else was ever, like, tweaked. 
according to what I read that uh, Josh Boone said, no, nothing else was tweaked. Nobody from upstairs, nobody came in, nobody said anything. They just kind of waited around? Really? Well, so so what I gather is that they did re-edit the movie. Okay. um, But they never did any reshoots. So let's get into that. So let's talk about the the whole idea of the movie. So the idea of the movie was a horror film. Boone wanted to make a horror film. And he has stated some of his favorite horror films are The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, The Shining. I mean classics. But that there's all those are also a certain type of horror movie. Oh yeah, definitely. I can see a little bit of the Exorcist inspirations in the New Mutants, just a bit tad because I've seen the Exorcist backwards and forwards, so I can kind of see now why you meant why he mentions that's like one of his favorites along with others. Yeah, yeah. His his idea was he wanted to make a film that he called, and this is a quote, a prestige version of horror films. Okay, so. Sounds like he was aiming for a movie that would fit in the pantheon of movies like The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, The Shining. Um, but the problem was, was Fox was totally against that. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised either. I know, I mean, look at all the stuff that Ryan Reynolds had to get through to get his R rating. So uh, the fact that he wanted to do a new Mutants with a horror aspect from Fox... Um, it, it would have been interesting to see it because he threw some horror aspects in the film that I can see what he was trying to do, but I can tell that part of it was having to edit and get it down to the PG-13 rating that it is today. So that was that was kind of where this came from. So Fox, Fox was totally against it. What Fox wanted was a young adult drama. I can say that's what it turned out to be for the New Mutants. Again, not spoiling too much, but it is a drama. Yeah, they wanted a young adult drama. They were against the blood and the scares. And what they did was they hired this. I read this. I, I read this and just I couldn't believe it. They hired a six person, quote unquote, writer's room to, again, quote, tear apart the script and put it back together. That that is incredible of six person writing room to do that. Are you for real? No, that's again. That's what I found in my research. So they took Josh Boone's uh, story, and they said, "All right, he, we got this horror film. We want to not make it as much of a horror. We want to make it more of a, a young adult drama. Uh, you know, so break it apart, break it down. Let's make it less horror, more drama." And and again, we're talking about writers that are just you know studio writers, just stock writers that. Fox has, you know, on, on a contract and (laughs) it's such a Fox thing to do. Yeah. They do the bidding of Fox. Shame. So, I mean, honestly, this has been a running theme with X-Men movies. Uh, you know, you mentioned Deadpool, which still technically falls under this, uh, this idea. And I mean that the Deadpool storyline goes all the way back to X-Men origins Wolverine. Yeah. So, yeah, and we know how that turned out, uh, not only for Deadpool, but just that movie in general. And then, of course, there's Tim and I have done X-Men The Last Stand recently on the show, 
and we talk also about the conflicts that uh, Fox and the filmmakers had and all that. Um, so X-Men Origins, The Last Stand, now New Mutants. I mean, this, and, and I'm sure some other ones too. It's just we've done those pretty recently with the show. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of issues uh, going up that ultimately the director of the movie in I think all three cases that I'm talking about. So you got X-Men, the last stand uh, X-Men origins, Wolverine, and then now new mutants, all three of those. I think the director has said in some way, shape or form that the movie that was released is not the movie that they intended to make. Yep. That's what I've heard as well, because they wanted to do one thing, but then again, Fox being Fox goes in, puts their hands in, tears it apart and, puts the script back together to give them something else. Yeah. Which is so surprising to me because you've got like Avi Arad, who's an executive producer mm-hmm. who has been attached to all of these. Um, Richard Donner came in as an executive producer on the X-Men movies. I don't think he was on the first one. I'm not a hundred percent on that, but I know he came in for some of the later ones as an executive producer. And I mean, you're talking about the guy who made Superman, the movie, like he knows what he knows how to make a successful superhero movie. And so you would think that Avi Arad, who had his success with the Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man movies, and then, you know, X-Men movies to kick off before things took a, a turn. Um, you would think between them, they would be able to fix something. I mean, that's the whole point of Kevin Feige with Marvel and the MCU. Like he makes sure that there's cohesiveness, that every movie feels like it's from the same universe. And that's just what Fox was missing. Fox just did not know how to make a cohesive universe with these X-Men. Consistency is the key. Yeah. Yeah. So, but eventually the story is, is that Fox changed their mind about the horror aspects. Um, and it was actually because of the success of the... Um, it remake Stephen King's it mm-hmm. after the success of that Fox went, Oh, you know what? Maybe people do like to see young people involved with horror. And so they changed their mind. They edited the trailers so that it focused more on the scary elements. Cause they had already been releasing trailers that was focusing more on it being a superhero film and the superhero aspect. And, um, so they edited again to make it look more like a scary element. Um, and then, like I said earlier, they planned for reshoots to make the film more like a horror. But according to the director, those reshoots never happened. So I am very curious to see what the final product is after doing that research about the anticipation I had from 2017. I mean, I still remember when I originally saw the trailer and the shot of I don't know who it is, but whoever's inside of like the dryer and the the hand that's on fire coming up and pressing up against the dryer. You know, I mean, I was going, I was excited. You know, they pull off the, you talked about, uh, uh, the old slasher films. They pulled off the Friday night, uh, not Friday 13th nightmare on Elm street. Uh, when Freddie comes out of the, the wall. Oh yeah. You know, uh, they pulled that off. And so I'm, I was very excited about this. And again, the only reason I haven't watched it is because I heard it, it it's going to disappoint me. But I'm still interested. I'm excited to do this. And uh, 
We are going to break now. Of course, it'll seem like nothing to you as you're listening to this. And James is going to read the three issues from the 1980s that are on the Demon Bear Saga, and I am going to watch New Mutants. So we'll be back. All right, so I have just watched uh, The New Mutants, and James has read the three issues that made up the Demon Bear Saga, and now we're going to discuss. So I'm going to let you take a little bit of this away. Again, we're mimicking your podcast, and so I'm going to let you, since I have now watched the movie, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to let you ask me a few questions. Let's let's kind of take take this over and make this a mini version of the interview with a horror Virgin podcast. Oh, I'll do that for you. If you call this a horror movie. Oh boy. Horror movie. Uh not 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 so much. Maybe maybe a bit of a thriller. But let's start off with the the big one. Did your whole expectations change from reading it to watching it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, of course you can play off of this because you just read it. I was actually more interested in the movie than I was in the comic. Oh, absolutely. The story in the comic yeah, the story in the comic is just, it's such a slow burn. There's so much exposition, and, and there's a lot of exposition in this movie, but I'm a little bit more interested. I don't know if it's just the visual media, you know, being able to see it as a movie versus the still images, static images in the comic. But um, but I got to say, the, and you know, I know you'll probably ask me about this, so I'm going to go ahead and say this too. I think going in expecting it not to be good, I wasn't disappointed. Like, I actually thought it was better than my anticipation of it was. Yeah, that's kind of how I went into it as well, because I remember you mentioning it to me. I was like, okay, I see the reviews. They're not that good. So I was like, I'll give it a shot. And I wasn't disappointed, but at the same time, I wasn't. My opinion really hadn't changed. Well, what were your thoughts after reading the comic? It was so underwhelming for yeah. what I saw from the movie. I was like, this is very, very just slow. The characters aren't really doing much. There's, It's kind of strange to see the focus on Ileana more than anything else throughout like the first, I think, like two parts of the story in the comics. And then you get to Danny. Well, and then they take Danny out like in issue two. Oh, yeah. She's out for the whole rest of the story versus in the movie. And I know we'll get into this with more of the moving panel section, but, you know, versus in the movie where she doesn't get taken out, quote unquote, until and it's only for a few minutes at the end of the movie. Oh, yeah, it is. It's it's interesting how they differ so much because it feels like they're doing a training mission and everybody's already kind of grown up. So I really call them like young, whereas if you watch the movie. They, it really feels like you're watching the new mutants. It's kind of strange mm-hmm. seeing them in the story that it was written in versus watching the film. But uh, from the next one, now, we were talking about the horror aspect of it. Do you really think it had that many horror aspects or horror scenes to it? So I actually put this in my notes, and I might mention it again a little later. I got a Nightmare on Elm Street vibe off of it with with the whole her manifesting their nightmares, you know, their fears uh, and making them come to life. Uh, got a very um, Nightmare on Elm Street vibe off of it. So it, I think it did have that horror element. It just, 
Yeah, like you said, it, it doesn't feel like a horror movie. No, it has some horror moments. I mean, I remember the, the Smiling Men still probably being the highlight for me. It kind of reminded me of, like, ironically, what they were watching with Buffy on in the background. I, got, I took that note. <laughs> I actually have that in my notes. Yeah, the gentleman. Yeah, they're watching watching Buffy. They see they watch two episodes of Buffy. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever shared this. I am a huge Buffy fan. So I immediately recognized both of those episodes as soon as I saw them. Uh, the first one, which we see real close up, I mean, they give it give it its own shot, uh, was when Willow and Tara first kiss. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, it's tied into this movie because you got uh, Danny and um, uh, I, I just want to say Maisie because of the kid, Rain. Uh, Danny and Rain you know, having their relationship and them kissing. Um, and then the second episode we see, you see it from a distance, but I looked and I was, I was like, oh, that's Hush. And it's, uh, of course, the smiling gentleman um, who, yeah, do, I mean, they have, they're, they're the elongated kind of figures, mm-hmm. just like the smiley face guys were. Uh, but at the same time, hey, folks, if you've never watched Buffy, those are probably the two best episodes to watch of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Absolutely. It's The Body, The Body from season four, and Hush, which I think is the greatest Buffy episode, Hush from season five. Um, so uh, if you, you, you've you never gotten into Buffy, I say uh, watch Hush. I mean, you could just watch Hush by itself. You don't even need any background or anything to watch that episode. Uh, great episode, and I loved the connection, which makes sense that it there's it's almost as if uh, Marvel or Fox or whoever was giving back to Buffy because the whole Dark Willow storyline from Buffy has been said to be inspired from the Dark Phoenix storyline. Really. Yeah, Joss Whedon, which you know he's a comic book guy and he's got his connections That's to X Men. Right. Yeah, you know he he wrote the famous Astonishing X Men comics, um, which inspired X Men: The Last Stand. Um, you know he he has said that he was inspired by the Dark Phoenix saga, and that was where he got the idea for the Dark Willow story arc that happens in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So yeah, absolutely loved the Buffy tie in. Yeah, I thought it was kind of an on-the-nose thing of what we were going to expect when the Smiling Men came, or just the whole uh, nightmare of the fears and all that stuff. Which leads me to my next question for you. Uh, do you think that it could have been better with more horror like it originally was going to do? Yes. I I think they needed some... They needed a few other patients. Uh, no-name patients, or... Um, you know, patients that we maybe are quickly introduced to, they needed some people to be killed. I honestly think, mm-hmm. I, I think having that, having Danny's, you know, power manifest a fear or whatnot, and it actually caused some deaths. Um, maybe even have an orderly who's working for Dr. Reyes, you know, have an orderly be killed by something. I, I think that could have helped give it more of a, a horror film. It, a, a horror feel is what I meant to say. Yeah, it definitely would have upped the stakes in my opinion because all we're doing is just showing 
all, all the scary stuff and there's no consequences no other than like maybe yeah. the pool scene yeah now i will say the pool scene is when i really locked in on a this is a nightmare on elm street uh aspect especially with it being a uh a flirtatious you know um having iliana kind of flirting with uh roberto um so um, I, I, I do, again, I got the Nightmare on Elm Street feel out of it, but, but let's go ahead and get into the characters. Let's talk about the characters, which I honestly think is going to be the bulk of our, uh, conversation Absolutely. here. I got a few, few things where we'll hit more about the comics, but, uh, let's get into the, the characters. Now, most of these characters, the new mutants themselves, they are the original new mutant, uh, characters. And so they were pretty much all introduced in the same comic. Uh, which is actually Marvel graphic novel number four, which was then titled The New Mutants. Um, and that happened in September of 1982. Um, only one of the characters, uh, or one of the New Mutants, I should say, was not. We'll get into that in a minute. But let's start off with who is pretty much the the main focus of the storyline, and that's Danny Moonstar. They never, there's a couple of lines that imply what their superhero name is, but they're never called by their superhero names. Uh, Danny Moonstar in the comics is known as Mirage. Makes sense. She is able to make, you know, things uh, appear. You know, their fears and 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 hopes. She actually does good too with her power. She can make her hopes, uh, make someone's hopes come real too. Um, but uh, played by Mirage, uh, excuse me, played by Blue Hunt. Uh, and I did find it interesting. I looked this up uh, as I was watching the movie Blue Hunt. Uh, this is actually the first American major studio film to feature a Native American in the lead role. Oh, that's so cool. And I think she does a great job. Um, this also appears like she's very new to uh, to acting and has not been in an awful lot prior to this. Um, she was on the television show The Originals. That seemed to be kind of her biggest uh biggest part before this but technically it was in the same year because she was in it in 2017 and remember that was when this movie was originally supposed to be released so before that she appeared in like an episode or two um of a couple of things so this was kind of her breakout role and i thought she did a really good job i think she did too i meant she could have used some redirecting other stuff but for breaking out into like a really good role for this main story and everything. I thought she did a really, really good job. I liked her character. How believable do you think it was that she was experiencing the, cause I kind of didn't feel like she really portrayed the loss of her family that well. Yeah, that really was, I want to say rushed or like brushed over just yeah. all of a sudden. Oh, they died in a tornado yeah. accident. Oh, that died in a tornado accident, and then yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah. When when she when she wakes up, handcuffed to the bed at the beginning, and then when Doctor Reyes tells her that, I would I would expected more out of her reaction. I think is where I'm more getting this from. Mm-hmm. Expect a little bit more out of that. Um, and even the her wanting to commit suicide right there at the beginning, um, that kind of just came and went, like. Like, why did she just all of a sudden have this thought to let me climb this tower and uh, and try to jump 
uh, I also kind of question how she thought once she got up there, how her brain went. Yeah, it should be easy to kick the the, the wall <laughs> yeah. of this clock out. Like, I wouldn't think it would be that easy. So, you know, part of me would be like, how would I get out there? But yeah, then they have rain stopper and okay, we're good. I don't know. I think that was brushed over. I think it but was, I'm not blaming her. I'm blaming the writing. That too. Plus, I think it was the whole thing we talked about beforehand. The teen drama had to have a little bit of angst in there at the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we'll talk about Tim with the 80s fleet flashback. Talking about the breakfast, breakfast Club. I've had conversations with Tim about the Breakfast Club that I am not a fan of the Breakfast Club. I don't know why people think so much and so highly of the Breakfast Club. And it's for the same reason. We've got all these characters that have all of these traumatic stories and elements to them that we don't get to flesh out because we're in an hour and a half movie. Yeah, I mean, I did like Breakfast Club when I first saw it in high school, but now as I've gotten older, the appeal's kind of gone for me. Yeah. Uh, well, let's move on. We've already been talking about Rain, so let's go ahead and talk about Rain a little bit more. Rain Sinclair in the comics. Uh, she is known as Wolfsbane. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, played by Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones fame. Uh, in fact, she, from what I have, what I read, is uh, this role was offered to her and only her. Like, th- they had nobody else planned to play this character. They immediately wanted... Uh, Maisie Williams. Her character is similar uh, to the comics. The whole religious background thing, that's straight from the comics. Uh, Her being overly religious, which makes her struggle with her mutation of being uh, a werewolf because it's kind of looked at as uh, kind of demon-ish. I don't think that she has the the W brand, you know, for the witch's brand that uh, is on her back shoulder and then later on her neck. Good grief, that one on the neck oh, had yeah. to hurt. I ain't, ain't going to lie. But, um, but yeah, so the character is pretty similar. She does have the ability in the comics, which I think they kind of try to do, but in the comics she has the ability to turn kind of halfway between full wolf and... And being human, so kind of kind of more of a teen wolf uh, type aspect. Um, and I think they just they just pull that off by having the moments where her eyes, you know, turn the golden color or whatever they the color they're supposed to be, and she's able to she has the heightened senses and and all. But but again, in the comics, she's like she's furry and everything too when she's um, in that form. So I guess they they decided not to go with that, but. What were your thoughts on on Rain, the character of Rain? I really liked I liked the character. Um, she did a great job as her. I think I liked her more in the movie than I did what I was reading from that story arc. Maybe it was because yeah, in the comic she's kind of whiny, very, very whiny. Yeah, I mean, I even chuckled at some of her written dialogue in the comics. You know, let me go, you witch, and I'm like, what? All right, but then when I see her in New Mutants. She's kind of, I, I like her whole like underdog thing. This girl struggling with 
her own inner demons about her religious background and even saying like, you know, demons can't be in churches. It really, really made me felt for because yep. she, this is not something that's really easy for this character. And I wanted to see a little bit more of her. Yeah. I can't, like I said, again, we didn't get to really flesh these characters out. Um, I like that, uh, again, they really hammered in that religious aspect. The fact that she goes to confession, even though there's not a, a father for her to confess to. Um, and she even, uh, she even gives herself, uh, what she has to do, you know, mm-hmm. let's move on to Ileana Rasputin, which we only know her last name from the, uh, data pop-up that happens on Dr. Reyes's, uh, screen. I don't think her, her last name is said at any other time. Uh, in the comics, her superhero name is Magic. She first appeared in Giant Size X-Men number one in May of 1975. So she actually existed almost 10 full years before the rest of these characters uh, in terms of in the comics. Um, Now, in that comic, she is only Ileana. The whole magic aspect of her was not revealed in the comics until December of 1983, which was after New Mutants was, was introduced. Um... Now, do you know anything about this character from the comic books? Only from what I was reading from the storyline. Other than that, I don't think I have ever seen, I'm going to use her superhero name, Magic, in the X-Men series. Or maybe I have, and I, I guess it didn't click that she was also part of this. So what I think I'm, a- I'm more asking you then is, do you know her, that she has a deeper connection to the X-Men? Oh, no, I did not. So... Again, this goes back to her last name. Her last name is Rasputin. There is another X-Men whose last name is Rasputin. His name is uh, Peter Rasputin, a.k.a. Colossus. Ileana is Colossus's baby sister. Really? Yes. Which this, uh, I, this movie, the visual they give of her kind of building that armor going down her arm. Like it's kind of similar to her brother's power. Yeah. I thought that was kind of an interesting little touch there. But yeah, she is Colossus's sister. Although there's no mention of that in this movie. That's just wild. That's just so cool. Now it it makes sense with the whole, maybe like, I almost want to like picture in my head why the movie was delayed even more. They wanted to make that relationship with her and Colossus. And then, you know, somewhere down the line, she would just show up. Yeah, I'm sure there's there was a reference at some point, um, but again, they took it out. There really, there's a, there was what I I believe I heard there was a passing line, like a, just a throwaway line that kind of implied Professor X, but uh, but other than that, it, there was no other than them saying, "Do you know who the X Men are?" and them having just a conversation about who the X Men are. I mean, that was really it. Uh, the other thing with Ileana is Lockheed and that there's there's that's from the comics you know she is even though Kitty Pride Shadowcat is more connected with Lockheed in the comics but we never saw that in the X-Men movies uh Ileana also um is a uh, good friends with Lockheed um but uh, Lockheed was a puppet like really a puppet He's supposed to be this alien demon dragon thing and real. And yes, they do 
make him come to life for a couple of minutes at the end, although they didn't explain that at all. <laughs> nope. She just goes through a portal and all of a sudden Lockheed is real. But yeah, I mean, I get that they were trying to keep it as grounded as possible, but I, in my opinion, just don't have Lockheed at all. Like we don't, we don't need Lockheed. Just if we needed something for her to, for her to hold on to and like a security blanket type thing, then just make it some random stuffed doll. Like it didn't need, they didn't need to do the Lockheed reference. Cause to me that just, eh, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Yeah. I also thought it was a little out of place when I was reading the comics and then kind of like replaying in my head. I was like, strangely enough, it feels better in the comics because Lockheed is there. He exists. He does whatever Lockheed does for that. Whereas with this, I almost felt like they were trying to make it comedic, and I'm like, that really? And then you just show yeah. them up. Yeah. Again, I just I I didn't I got the whole aspect of you know she felt like he was protecting her and as the stuffed animal, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It just to me, it was just one of those things of ah, you're ruining a a beloved character of X Men fans. With uh, with Lockheed, um, but uh, Anya, I always know I probably mispronounced her first name, but uh, Anya Taylor Joy, I think did very well with this character. Absolutely, she really. I feel bad saying this to the other actors, not to some mean, but when she was part of the scene when they came around, she really, really carried it and helped guide everybody. I feel. Yeah, she probably was the strongest uh, actor of the group. And I mean, look, Queen's Gambit, uh, you know, she's great in um, Split series. And of course, I'm, yeah, I was about to say, I'm a huge fan of Split and Glass, uh, where she plays Casey Cook. Oh, you know what? I just realized that if they actually had Professor X in the movie, Professor X is James McAvoy. So you would have, eh, that would have been. That would have been interesting. Well, a uh, quick backtrack to horror. She was in The Witch. I've actually never seen The Witch, so I forgot about that. Yeah, I've always wanted to. Um, so if you ever need me for that episode, just let me know. I own the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, so let's move on to Sam Guthrie, a.k.a. Cannonball, which they do actually kind of mention that you know they say it's like a cannonball, played by Charlie Heaton, who I'm sorry, I just I see Stranger Things when I see him on the screen. Same. I couldn't separate him. Now the the his origin, which caught my attention, his origin is similar, but they gave it a little bit more. They made it more uh, traumatic. They they gave him a more. Uh, it was more of a bad origin than it is in the comic books. So in the comic books, his father has already passed away. You know, it's not some tragic, you know, anything. He's just, you know, his father passed away. I don't, I don't know. I can't tell you for certain whether it's uh, from an illness or if he had a heart attack or whatnot. Um, again, I apologize for all that. I didn't do real in-depth research because we wanted to get recording as soon as, as quickly after I watched as possible. So I'm pulling a lot of this from my own knowledge. Um, but 
Cannonball, or Sam, I should say, his father was already dead. Then he goes and works in the mines. And then there's a a collapse, and he and his co-workers are trapped inside the mine. And that's when his mutant powers manifest, and his little blast-off is actually what rescues them. That's interesting how they kind of yeah. turn the story around in the movie. But yeah. again, I think I make like it, it so better that way. The, what you just said, the rescuing it. it means, you like it better in the comic where it rescues them? Yeah, yeah it doesn't feel as I don't, dramatic. Eh. Yeah, that that is the thing. It's it's very overly dramatic. It, it works for what they were intending in the movie to give him this tragic background. But because... You know, the character wouldn't really be the same if his origin of using his powers was to save people first. Instead, it's his origin it was he killed a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, though, I did love when he uh, blasts off in the hallway and just shreds through those smiley face guys. Oh, that was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. Again, I would have thought there'd be a little bit more blood involved when you just tear through some creatures but uh again they toned it down yeah toned it all down i did like how he was practicing his power because i think he was the only one out of everyone that you could see really trying to control his mutant abilities yeah they didn't make it clear though too at least i didn't catch it that when he is blasting and this is in the comics when he's in his blasting cannonball mode he is invulnerable. That's cool. Which is why it was odd that he has a broken arm and a black eye throughout this entire movie. Because I'm like, okay, but how did he get those? Because even if, as they make the reference when they see him trying, he doesn't, he crashes when he lands, he's still invulnerable when he crashes. Now, maybe he's if he's a little bit further up in the air and stops and then he just free falls. Okay. But every time we saw him, he was crashing straight out of his, his cannonball blast. So he still should have been invulnerable. So I was just, I was kind of confused by that as to why the broken arm and the black eye. Um, although the black, actually the black eye made a little bit more sense in the scene where he kind of powers up his hand and hits himself. Um, cause I guess you're, cause I guess you imply like, because he's not, his power currently isn't in his face, then he's, uh, that's how he gets the black eye. But yeah. So what'd you think of his Southern accent? Cause the character's supposed to be from Kentucky. As someone who has had to do Southern accents for auditions and stuff like that, uh, I thought it, it, it sounded a little too forced for the character or what he was trying to do as cannonball, because yeah. I'm like, he's trying, but I think he's trying just a little too hard. Yeah. A- again, it's supposed to be a, a Kentucky accent. And I know that you go a little bit, it's a different level of Southern than the South Southern. Uh, Cause you know, it's more of a Midwest um, Midwest meets Southern, mm-hmm. but but yeah, I thought it was a little, it was on a little too thick. The inflections, in I felt like were off. Next, we've got Bobby DaCosta, uh, although I think they refer to him as Roberto uh, throughout the movie. I don't know if they ever call him Bobby. Uh, he is Sunspot in the comics. 
Uh, now, this is not the first time we've seen this character in the movies. We actually saw this character in uh, Days of Future Past. He was one of the mutants fighting with them in the future against the Sentinels. Uh, in that movie, he's portrayed by actor Aiden Kanto, but in this movie, he's played by Henry Zaga. Now, I, I want to get into this. We're not going to get real political, but Sunspot in the comics is Afro-Brazilian. So he's a Brazilian who is black. And his origin story deals with him being attacked by a racist during a soccer game. Okay. They... When they casted Henry Zaga, yes, Henry Zaga is Brazilian. So they, they still have the right nationality. They just have the wrong skin color. And you can you could argue that they could still go that route because he is Brazilian. That still makes him a minority with being in America. But Henry Zaga is a very light skin Brazilian. Yeah, I was going to, but when you started on to that, I was like, yeah, that was like really weird for a second. Because I was like, wait, who's this other character? And I'm like, oh, what happened? Yeah, <laughs> yeah and a lot of people were not happy with it. Uh, of course, the filmmakers said they they tried to stay true to um, nationalities. Uh, you know, Blue is played by a uh, an actual Native American. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, well, of course... Anna, Anya Taylor-Joy is actually British. She's not Russian. Uh, and then we're going to talk about another character in a minute that they, they kind of went a little bad. But yeah, this this one did not make people happy. I remember that when the movie came out and reading a lot of stuff about them. Of course, the articles are all talking about whitewashing the cast. Yes, I remember that. Um, yeah. And even Bob McLeod, or uh, McLeod, however you pronounce his name, um, who was the original artist and one of the co-creators of the New Mutants, he even came out and said that he was not happy with the casting of Henry Zaga as Sunspot. Well, yeah, it's just... It just seems off, because now when I read the comics and I see the character, I can't kind of unsee that. I was like, what happened? Did somebody try to do this, or could you just not find someone? Yeah, and then they... They changed his powers, so I don't know how much you gathered from reading it in the, those three episodes. So Sunspot, when he goes full powered, he doesn't burn people with touching them. Like his the whole solar energy, you know, power that he has is sheer. That it's a power source. Mm-hmm. It's not a weapon. Of course, he can you know throw out heat blasts. And all, but but in terms of it's contained inside of him. Like he he's doesn't become what he is. The character they're doing in the movie is more like a character called Magma from the comics. Um but yeah, I, I don't know. I will say though, I did like uh the in the pool scene, we are you know, we already mentioned it earlier about it kind of having the nightmare on Elm Street Phil, that when she pushes him into the pool it evaporates like half the water in the pool. I did like that. Like it's a very, su- yeah, it's a very subtle thing. You kind of have to look in the background to see the side of the pool. Uh, but once the steam clears, you realize that half of the water has been evaporated and that's how hot he is. Um, so I did like that, but 
Yeah, and I don't, I don't know how I felt of him being a really a coward and just not wanting to do anything and use his powers at all. Because I, again, I get that it was a character thing, but the character wasn't fleshed out enough. But to make him, you know, kind of this arrogant, cocky, like you said, prep kid, but then make him a scaredy cat when it came to actually the superhero stuff. So I don't know. Interesting for me because uh, when I first watched it, and we were talking about the whole coward thing, I swear I was picturing him the entire time as Diablos from Suicide Squad. Because I'm like, is he really just really? gonna be this person? I don't want to use my powers. I hurt people. Oh, I'm sad. And that's what the I didn't think I about got that connection. That. Yeah, that's what I got from. I'm about to say, let me guess. He's not gonna use his powers at all until the very end. And I was like, yep, done. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty, pretty accurate. Yeah, I didn't even think about that connection. Uh, and then, um, we have Dr. Cecilia Reyes played by Alice Braga, um, in a role that part of me wondered, did anyone not say, Hey, speak up, speak up a little bit because it's almost as if she's whispering the entire movie. Yeah. Even when she first like meets Danny and talks to her, everything, I'm like, do I turn subtitles on? And I had to because I was like, I can't understand a word you're saying, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. Speak up. Um, of course, there was a little controversy with her being cast because uh, in the comics, uh, Dr. Cecilia Reyes is Puerto Rican and Alice Braga is Brazilian. Uh, there we go again. So, uh, yeah. So, again, a little bit of controversy with that casting as well. The character of Cecilia Reyes premiered at X-Men number 65 in June of 1997. So she is not that old of a character in the run of all that is comics. Uh, Her powers are the same. She has the ability to create force fields. Uh, Other than that, that that was it. Um, (laughs) Because in the comics, she's she's an X-Men. Like, she's... She's a she's a superhero. Um, she is not a villain at all. So does it ever like talk no. about it? Well, so so there is one one aspect of her character in the comics in which she does work for Mister Sinister. Which, if you know your comics, that was what was implied in this movie. Yes. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, when she is told on the computer that she needs to terminate uh, Danny, um, it then shows the Exus Corporation logo on her computer, and that, is, of course, is a reference to Nathaniel Essex, who is Mr. Sinister. Um, now, it was rumored that Mr. Sinister would then be revealed in this movie. And I guess that would be the connection with the trilogy that we talked about earlier. Of course that didn't happen. I mean, there was even, apparently it was even rumored that, uh, um, John Hamm would be playing Mr. Sinister. Ooh, been cool. uh, but again, again, none of that actually happened. Uh, but yeah, the heavily implied in this, um, her lapel pin, that we then see, you know, fall off when everything's revealed. That's the little diamond that is part of uh, Mr. Sinister's look. Uh, it's in his forehead. It, it's on his chest uh, when he's wearing uh, kind of, you know, the, the suit. Uh, and it's not the first time we've dealt with the Essex Corporation. Nope. So the Essex Corporation has was a part of uh, Deadpool 2. Uh, 
it was uh, a delete. I think it was deleted. I don't think it was actually in it. I think I saw it as a deleted scene, but you could correct me if you remember uh, from Apocalypse. Yes, it was in there. It was like at the very. It was end in of the there. Film. Yes, very it end. was like the end credit or something where we see the the suitcase, the briefcase close, and it says Essex Corporation on it. Yeah. Okay. So I, I I wasn't sure if it was in it or if it was a deleted scene. Um, and then of course it was also from Logan, which I don't know if you caught this when Danny has her little vision of the kids. That's footage from Logan. Yeah, I caught that on my first time. I was like, oh, oh, we're trying to tie in Logan. I, I like this. And then, you know, it's just yeah, even though never touched on again. Timeline wise, yeah, timeline wise, though, Logan takes place years after this is supposed to be taking place. Um, At least we assume. We don't actually get a year, I don't think, in this movie. No, I don't think we do. But, but with the fact that. With the fact that in Logan, it's implied that no mutants have been uh, born in like the last 20 years, then, you know, we have to assume this is happening before the events of Logan. But yeah, all the, as soon as I saw those kids, I was like, wait, is this? And then I see the one kid using his powers to like throw the guard up against the wall. And I was like, this is from Logan. I remember this footage from Logan, um, which came out in 20, uh, 2017, 2017. Which, if you remember, was the original year this was supposed to come out. That's crazy. It's almost like things are supposed to happen with a trilogy. I'm going to say that in quotation marks, but just, I I don't know. I guess they focused on everything else but this film. Yeah, part of me is really wondering, was Fox planning this like kind of like MCU level uh, arc, you know, where MCU did it with Thanos that Fox was going to do it with Mr. Sinister, you know, have Mr. Sinister mentioned in apocalypse, have him mentioned in Logan, have him mentioned in this movie, uh, Deadpool two, and then end up having the reveal of Mr. Sinister. And then you have a movie where the new mutants, the X-Men and Deadpool all come together to fight Mr. Sinister. I was kind of hoping for that too, because we saw cable and I was like, okay, we're definitely going to get Mr. Sinister, like no doubt about it. And I'm, I mean, so I'm very, very, I mean, have an apocalypse. I mean, Mr. Sinister and Apocalypse have a connection in the comics. So, uh, yeah, it could have finally been that Marvel was maybe finally getting the chance to really make something out of this. And it just, it didn't happen and will never happen because of the acquisition from Disney. So that makes me so sad. But, uh, but let me, let me ask you this since you're kind of, even though this isn't a horror movie, but, uh, Kind of has a little bit of aspect to it. Did uh, Dr. Reyes give you Nurse Ratched vibes? Oh, definitely. She did. It was crazy. It was just like, I got to follow the rules. You're going to go to solitary. And just, it was so dry. And again, not being able to really hear her, I guess, drove that yeah. more because it was so dead toned. Yeah. Yeah. She kept, she always remained calm, even when she was angry or upset, uh, which makes it a little, little, uh, unnerving of course nurse ratchet is a much better character but <laughs> aside from that uh the only other person i want to talk about because it's really the only other person in the movie and that's uh william lone star and the only reason i want to mention william lone star is because as soon as he showed up on screen i went hey that's slipknot <laughs> um for those of you who don't know he was slipknot in suicide squad you know the one that gets his head blown off at the very beginning of the movie. I love it. 
Because I'm not the only one who noticed yeah. that. No. <laughs> of course, uh, that's not a, the only thing that comes into mind. Uh, probably more famous of a role for him is he was Ben in Wind Talkers with Nicolas Cage. I don't think I've seen that. You never seen that one? It's a great little war movie. You should give that one a try. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Adam Beach, uh, who played William Lone Star. Yep, also his other comic connection from the DC side, uh, and also probably as much time on screen as he had in this movie. He played Slipknot in Suicide Squad. He always has those short moments in films, and then he just goes off and dies somewhere. Do you love movies of a certain age? Do you miss the days of VHS tapes and VCRs and video rental stores? Is the thought of another 80s movie being remade seem inconceivable? If you want to go back to school, back to the future, or even back to the beach, then the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast is for you. I'm Tim Williams, the creator and host, and on each episode, I'm joined by a guest co-host as we revisit a different 80s flick to discuss our first-time watch memories, iconic scenes, and even learn some behind-the-scenes stories along the way. New episodes drop every other Friday on your favorite podcasting platform. So make like a tree, get out of here, and go listen to an episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. All right, let's get into the moving panels. Uh, we've already talked about this, but let's uh, lay into it a little bit more. This movie is pretty much inspired directly from the Demon Bear Saga, which happened in August of 1984 through three issues of The New Mutants, issues 18, 19, and 20. Uh, now, the Demon Bear actually first appeared in New Mutants number three in May of 1983, but it was more of just a, a vision that uh, Danny has and we didn't fully see the bear until these issues. Now, you read this comic, so I'm going to turn the, the tables on you a little bit. What were your thoughts of the storyline? I know you talked about it a little bit more, but let's kind of flesh it out a little bit more. What were your thoughts on the storyline that they presented in these three issues? Well, the storyline... And the portrayal of the demon bear. Oh, that too. Well, let me start with the story before I get to the demon bear. I thought the story was the the pacing of it was a little off because we're focused on one thing, Ileana. Everyone's like in the whole battle chamber of some kind, and then out of nowhere again. Well, they're in the danger room. The danger room. The I'm danger, sorry. Cause, yeah, yeah, because the the comic book takes place at the the school. Yeah, it's at, at Xavier school. school for the gifted. Because they yeah. mentioned the whole incident beforehand. You know, Charles Xavier. Uh, Charles Xavier, he's out there, you know, telling them stop, cease, don't do this. And then, you know, we jump to this of what's happening. And like I said, the story didn't really do much for me because it was just so, it was just so downplayed. I didn't feel like there was that anything to rush. There's no stakes. Nobody was really in any danger. And then when we get to the demon bear. Well, well, you know, but again, you say that. Remember I mentioned earlier the, the, thing it was missing for the horror aspect was other characters, minor characters for something to happen to them. In the comic, we do get that. We have the cop and the nurse. Okay. I guess I kind of didn't add them. I think I was thinking superhero wise. Yeah. But okay. I'll, I'll, I'll take that because it makes it actually, okay. It actually puts together in my head a little bit more knowing that they were in danger, but I guess I was looking at on a, in a Marvel mass scale type thing. 
Like, this is going to get out. This is going to cause cataclysmic destruction if this gets out. I guess I didn't feel that urgency as much when I was reading the little story arc. What about the aspect of the bear when they're battling it at the end and the whole it's it's bringing it and I'm going to get into the whole limbo uh, part of this, but even though it's not said to be limbo in the comics, um, it bringing like this alternate dimension into our world. I did like that. I did like seeing how the bear was doing more as it became manifest powerful, more powerful manifesting this untamable force of nature of fear that could open up this, I guess, limbo dimension we can call it because i feel like that makes more sense than whatever i get whatever they called it in the comic because i couldn't remember specifically what they called it but that i did like i felt like the bear had a lot more to do in the comics i had my i had more focus on the bear than i kind of did with everybody else because the bear seemed interesting i liked the whole I like the design of it in the comics. I loved how big they made it look compared to everybody else and not oh, just a smoky yeah. looking thing. Huge. Yeah, even like what the close-up of the face with the okay. arrow through the mouth. So let me ask you this. What about the fact that in the comic books he can talk? That threw me off a bit, not going to lie. I thought giving the bear some kind of sentience, This, I thought I liked that. I, I like the bear being okay. having some kind of sentience because, again, if it's controlling this other dimension it uh, it has some kind of intelligence and not just this rampage to kill um now we'll get into the ending in a minute but you saw in the comic just like in the movie it pretty much comes down to iliana standing you know face to face you know going one-on-one with the demon bear uh you know with the the soul sword that she has Mm -hmm. Uh, but of course in the comic it danny actually goes up against the bear um, earlier in the comic and the bear kind of takes her out and the rest of the story is done from Danny and the, the new mutants are in the hospital uh, making sure that Danny's going to pull through um, and then Ileana goes and faces the demon bear once the demon bear begins to attack uh, which clearly the demon bear can change sizes because the demon bear attacks people inside the hospital without ripping the hospital apart. Yeah. And in the comics, Ileana is ultimately the one who saves the disposes day. of the demon bear. Yeah. She slices the demon bear in half. <laughs> and then we discover, Oh, I'm going to try to get through this. We discover <laughs> that the demon bear has been Danny's parents all along. Yeah, that's where I was like, that's where I really lost ev- um, all interest when that happened with that. I Like, I was hoping for just some kind of end, but when they threw that in there, I was like, that feels really, really cliche. Yeah, it was a, a weird ending. Um, they, they reveal that the parents were were engulfed by some sort of demonic spirit that uh, took their symbol of power for their uh, um, their tribe of the bear and caused them to create this evil version of it. And so they were trapped inside of it. And I just went, what? 
didn't uh, didn't get that. So let's compare that to how this movie ends, where we more find out that the demon bear is just a manifestation of Danny's subconscious. I will say, compared to the comic version, and I'm, I use this term lightly since you've already said it before, it felt grounded. It felt realistic. She's conquering her fear, and she's able to tame it, like they said, with the whole, like, there's two bears in your life, and it's all about which one you feed. Yeah. So I liked it yeah. in the movie more. No, and that was a good final line for the movie, too. Yeah, I like that. Um, now, in the comic books, the demon bear does eventually come back, uh, and you meant, because it triggered my head when you mentioned tamed. Uh, the demon bear is actually tamed in the comic books, but it's tamed by Psylocke. Completely different mutant, completely different X-Man. Um, really? Those of you who kn- don't know who I'm talking about, uh, Olivia Munn's character from Apocalypse. So, yep. I got to read this because I have to figure out how she controls the bear. Yeah, I'll try to find it. I'll try to find out which I- issue that is so I can send it out to you. That just blows my mind. Um, uh, let me throw this at you. Did you catch that they actually did an exact word-for-word line out of the comic in the movie? I'm going to say no, I don't think I did. Yeah, it's when uh, Ileana, they're deciding to go after the demon bear. And Rain says, um, you can't do this. It's magic. And Ileana says, so am I. I have to go back and find that panel because yeah, that's really cool. That that was, yep, that was in the cut. Now there's a lot more words in the panel than there was in the movie, but... I did kind of like that. I was like, oh, hey, that's straight out of the comic. And it's kind of that, it, albeit it's that cliche superhero moment <laughs> of, you know, you can't stop him. He's magic. So am I. And then her eyes turn blue and she steps into her portal. Um, yeah. But uh, but the movie, the movie, though, I will say, did not do as good of a job showing that the team had to learn to work together to bring down the demon bear. Definitely. It felt like a tag Whereas the team. comic did. Yeah, the comic did. The comic showed them working together to help bring down the demon bear. Um, yeah, this one was more of, okay, Ileana, you do your thing. All right, now Cannonball, you do your thing. Sunspot, you do your thing. Uh, Rain, you do your thing. And then now uh, Danny's going to finish it off. And that was literally, literally how it happened. Yeah. It was Ileana attacks. Cannonball attacks, sunspot attacks, rain attacks, Danny finishes it. And it wasn't a team effort. No. It, it was like you said, it was tag team. It really it was, was, which I thought was a shame. Your turn. <laughs> it really was. Not my uh, turn. I'm out. I got thrown down to the ground. All right, you get up. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And that was that was the other thing. When Ileana gets taken down, it's like she just went, huh? Like she, <laughs> like she, she just went, I'm not. I'm not gonna even try to get back up. Uh, it was like she just was defeated. Did her leg break? Um, I don't remember. Uh, I really don't. Did Did anything happen? I don't remember. I just remember her having trouble getting up, and I was like, "Did she like break her leg when maybe, she portaled out?" But maybe there's no really indication. I don't know. But let, let's talk about Ileana a little bit more and focus on the the limbo aspect. So, uh, and again, I'm gonna admit. You know, I was doing my research and taking notes as I'm watching this, so I may not have given it my full attention, but I I gathered that Limbo in this movie 
was created by Ileana. That it was something that she manifested as her, you know, safe place that they kind of refer to. Um, Because I believe she does say, you know, it's me and Lockheed. It's where it's, you know, what we created and all that. That's not the case in the comics. In the comics, Limbo is an actual place. Uh, it's a it's an alternate dimension. It's a demonic dimension, and that's what I thought they were going to show when they showed her as a kid and the smiley men coming. I thought the smiley men were going to be from Limbo, because what happens in the comics is she is abducted and uh, taken to Limbo when she was seven in the comics. Oh, okay. And the reason being is because of her abilities. Uh, there was a demon and I forgot the demon's name, but there's a demon who wanted to use her. And if he could, you know, manipulate her so that when she, you know, learned how to use all of her powers, she could free him from limbo so that he could then conquer earth. Okay. And if anyone's if anyone says that kind of sounds familiar, I will go, yeah, because it's the same story DC has with Raven and her father. Yeah, um, I was about to say, doesn't that sound yeah. very familiar? <laughs> it's yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. But in the comics, she is in limbo again, kidnapped at the age of seven. She's in limbo for ten years before she's able to escape. And so when she escapes, she's seventeen. However, when she escapes, no time has been, has passed on Earth. Oh. So she's taken into the portal and then immediately comes out of the portal. She's just now 10 years older. So time stops when she goes into the portal. Or time just passes differently passes in differently. that dimension. That's it, yeah. Yeah. Dimensions are weird. Yeah, because she's still aged. She, she aged 10 years, but no time has passed on Earth. So... Again, comics. So uh, let, let's get into one other aspect. And again, I don't want to get political or anything, but this is something that was done for the movie that is not in the comic book. And that is the relationship between Rain and Danny. Yes. So in the comic books, they have a connection, but it's a telepathic connection, which you saw in the in the three issues that you read. Mm-hmm. You know, they are able to communicate to, through, to each other um, because of their powers they're able to communicate to each other telepathically. And like, for instance, rain can sense when Danny is in trouble, uh, you know, and they have that connection, but there is no romantic relationship between them at all in the comic books. So what were your thoughts of introducing that aspect in the movie? It felt a little off, not in a bad way, but it was just when I was reading the comics and I was like, this feels a lot more natural and relaxed is there some tones in there? Maybe I put them in my head after seeing the film. I'm like, okay, I could potentially see the relationship there, but I don't think that's what they were going for with these two characters. And again, I think it might've been thrown in there because of, like you said before, teenage drama. We have to have this whole drama with these teenagers. And again, it just felt really, very forced. Yeah. uh, I think we've talked about, uh, all that stuff. There's really no other stuff. The smiley men, as far as I know, there's no connection in the comics. 
Uh, so I don't know if they were made to have that Buffy connection with the gentleman or what. I could not. I tried to search and I could not find any connection with the smiley men. Um, again, the the demon bear stuff was all all there. We already talked about the Doctor Reyes stuff, the Essex Corporation stuff, and that's pretty much it. So yeah. those that's that's your connections. Um, this movie is what it was. So let's get into our final decisions. Uh, as everyone knows, we call it bag it, stack it, or trade it. And I'm going to let you go first, James. What you going to do? Uh, I'd trade it. It was fun. Okay. But just there wasn't that much going on with it other than maybe like one or two two things. It was just not a very well-told story. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, I... I I, for a hot second, thought about saying stack it, but again, I've just watched it. So, you know, I haven't had a lot of time to really think about it, but I I am going to go to trade it. And for very similar reasons, this does not work as a teen melodrama does not work at all. Like, like I said, like I've said, they do not have enough time for us to care about these characters for the melodrama aspect of it to work. Um, that that relationship between Rain and Danny just kind of happens, and I mean, I don't even care that they're a couple throughout the movie. So yeah, the whole melodrama aspect, um, even even the slight little hint of, and this is from the comics, that Bobby and Sam become best friends because they do in the comics. They kind of tease at that, but again, it's not fleshed out. So again, I don't care. Um, Ileana is kind of the recluse of the group, and she doesn't start to form the relationships towards the end, but then it's just over, and again, I don't care. Uh, so that doesn't work. And then we've talked about the horror aspect. This doesn't work as a horror film. Again, we... We know there's only these five characters, and they are main characters. Without them, there would be no New Mutants. And so we know they're not in danger. We know that none of them are going to die. So that takes that aspect out. The Nightmare on Elm Street aspect, although is there, the fact that, like James said, there's no consequence. There's no result from these I mean, the only result we ever get is Rain getting the W tattoo on her neck. That's really it. Um, well, I guess you could argue, um, you know, them getting attacked by the the smiley face guys, but even that doesn't. Nobody was really, injured. No one. Yeah, no one's injured from that. Uh, so, and again, I think it. I think it's because I think this movie doesn't work because. The intention was to make a trilogy. And even though there was word of all these reshoots and all, you're looking at, even if they decided to reshoot in 2019, like I said earlier, these these actors who are teenagers or 20-something-year-olds would have aged two years. Yeah, very significantly. There's a chance that, he, there, and I'm sure Maisie Williams, her hair didn't look like that anymore, or... And, you know, and then if you're all of a sudden putting somebody in a wig or you're, you know, if one of them had lost weight or gained weight, uh, I'm sure there would have been some problems there. But like I said, we heard that there were no reshoots. So you're talking about this is the same movie 
that he intended to make in 2017, just maybe again edited different differently. So we're pretty much this movie is an origin story for these characters. And because we do, we get all of their origin stories for the most part. And I think the intention was we would care more about these characters in future movies. We're not going to get that. I mean, Disney acquired Fox. They put an end to all of this was the final movie uh, released um, under the, the, the Marvel Fox universe. Uh, if Marvel does ever decide to bring X-Men and the mutants back, it's supposed to be a complete new reboot and starting all over. Uh, I did find out this is also the talking about finals. This is the last movie that Stan Lee gets credited as executive producer. Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't catch that in the credits. Huh? Yeah. He he's, he's listed as executive producer and this was the final movie, uh, because of his passing, um, that he would, he got credited as executive producer, but yeah, it just, it, it doesn't work. The movie doesn't work. Now, is it the worst X-Men movie? Because that's that's also in the the game here, and what a lot of people have said. So I'm going to ask you before I answer that: Is this the worst X Men movie? No, I don't think it is. Because as we were talking earlier, because you mentioned that you recorded stuff for you did episodes of Last Stand and Origins. I feel like yes. if I took Origins, New Mutants, and Last Stand, I would put New Mutants in the middle of I would in this order: Last Stand. New Mutants origins from not bad to worse, top to bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm probably right there with you. I would definitely watch this again over watching X Men Origins Wolverine again. Yeah, it just hasn't um, established where it wants to be in the X Men universe. Yeah, yes. But I I think I would at least rather sit down if I had <laughs> gun to my head. Um, I know that's a horrible expression, but if I were to have to choose between do I want to watch New Mutants or do I want to watch X-Men Origins Wolverine? I mean, Hugh Jackman is probably one of the greatest casted comic book characters of all time, but I'd rather watch this movie. Definitely same. All right, James. Well, uh, uh, thank you again. Um, again, let's remind everybody about your new podcast. Tell us a little bit. Uh, thank and you. when you when you drop and, and all that. Yeah, thanks a lot, Laramie. Uh, it's called Interview with the Horror Virgin. I'm trying to keep... Uh, bi-weekly episodes because trying to find people to interview and also give them a movie it so it takes a little bit of time but i'm trying to keep the bi-weekly thing i've been adding in some new stuff intro music thanks to laramie's teachings and critiques to help me out a bit so i really really appreciate that but yeah no check it out uh again it's new so if you want to start from episode one you can start from episode one it shouldn't take you long to catch up and uh, support, again, another of our uh, fellow podcasts um, that we have with this little community that we have, 80s Flick Flashback Podcast, uh, Interview with a Horror Version, uh, Pop Culture Roulette, and Totally uh, totally 80s Christmas, Totally Awesome Christmas, Totally Rad Christmas. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, totally Rad Christmas. Uh, yeah, check them all out. And, of course, continue to check us out here on Moving Panels. Follow us on social media, at Moving Panels. And for today, for Moving Panels, I'm Laramie Wells, and I'll see you on the other side of the page.